And we're looking in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 20. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 20. The way of a reminder to nearby you are the elements for communion we'll receive later together as we talk through them. And maybe not a more fitting message for leading into that than our understanding of the kingdom of God that has come, that is now. Looking at your your Bibles, Luke chapter 17, please stand for the reading of God's word, beginning at verse 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it is over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Heavenly Father, we come to you with a grateful heart. We ask that you would open the ears of our understanding. Lord, we pray that we would be king's kids and we would live up uh, to what you have called us to be in this hour and in this moment. Lord, that we would recognize that we are in the kingdom. The kingdom is here. And Lord, that we are preaching the kingdom. And Lord, you are calling us to live it out in front of the world. Help us to show them that there is one king over of all kings, one Lord over all lords. And Father, we'll be careful to praise you and to thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than any other topic. And uh, so I believe that it is very important for us to understand that and understand the kingdom. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, he was talking to people who were living in the Jewish community nearly 2,000 years ago. And these people were expecting the kingdom of God. They were expecting it to come in a different way. They were hoping for it. They were praying for it. They were anticipating the coming of Messiah. And, uh, and for, for Jesus uh, to explain or express to them in these moments that he is there, that the kingdom has already come, must have been quite a shock to them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, Luke 10, uh, 9 through 11, Luke 17, verse 21. Jesus tells them the kingdom of God is among you. And so when Jesus tells, us, uh, tells his disciples on one occasion to pray... Your kingdom come. He's actually telling them there in Matthew 6 and 10 and in Luke 11 verse 2. He's telling them that the kingdom of God, which has already begun, that we should pray that it keeps on coming. That it comes with dominion. That it comes with power. That darkness is continually pushed back. Jesus made it very clear that the kingdom of God wasn't the kind of kingdom that his listeners were expecting. He said in John 18, verse 36, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingship is not here. And so what Jesus did mean when he answered uh, the question of the Pharisees, the kingdom is among you, is what I want to explore with you today. They said, when is your kingdom coming? And he says, you are not going to really see it. You've already missed it. If you, if you were looking for it the right way, you would already realize that the kingdom of God is among you. 
traversing in, in the, the, the religion that you're caught up in, traversing in, in intellectual thought and thinking only, you're missing the kingdom. You're missing it because it's right among you. As we walk through and look in Scripture at the kingdom and the coming of the kingdom, it begins, Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. Uh, actually, the, the angels proclaim it or herald it out. We're about to celebrate that at Christmas, aren't we? As a, as a result of Christ's birth, the kingdom of God uh, does, begins with the coronation of, of, of not a powerful king that the world might look at, but rather the birth of a helpless baby. That is the inauguration of the kingdom. And as Jesus' public ministry begins in Mark, he declares in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And therefore Christ had now officially started what Israel had been waiting for for so long. That there would come a Savior, that there would come a Messiah, there would come one that would forgive them of their sins, there would come one who, who had the power uh, to transform their lives and turn them around and free them from the guilt of sin, free them from the power and the hold of sin. And Jesus declares, that has happened. What we see along the line of, of Jesus next is Jesus uh, reveals that He is the kingdom. The kingdom is, is always located at the location of the monarch. That's the headquarters of the kingdom. And this is precisely why Jesus tells the Pharisees, we read it a moment ago, the kingdom of God has come among you. According to Graham uh, Goldsworthy, Jesus symbolizes the kingdom metaphor of God's people in God's place under God's authority which is represented uh, by the cross. Uh, Jesus is a trustworthy ruler of the kingdom, as well as the perfect citizen of the kingdom. The third thing we learn in studying the Jesus and the kingdom is that Jesus preaches the kingdom. He proclaims the kingdom wherever He goes. Jesus discloses that the goal of His life is to declare the kingdom of heaven. And during uh, his, uh, a description of uh, his mission, Jesus stated that. It's, he was in a location where they were trying to get him to stay on. Many miracles, many things had taken place. Or just stay here. Don't go anywhere else. We'll build something here for you. We'll make a place for you. Don't go anywhere else. And Jesus proclaims in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus preaches the kingdom. Fourth, we see that Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. What is the kingdom all about? Jesus demonstrates the might of the kingdom and his control over the prince of evil via the, the deeds and activities that are taking place in that day to restrict and bind and hold people just as they are in our day. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, he says, If it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come among you. And as a result of his words, Jesus not only announces the kingdom, but he proves the kingdom by his deeds. He shows the power of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, as he begins to demonstrate how to live in this kingdom. In uh, the fifth part, we see here Jesus deploys the kingdom. 
He's not going to do it alone. He raises up his disciples, and they are discipling and, and building the churches being built. And Jesus dispatches his followers to serve as ambassadors of the kingdom, heralding the entrance of the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God has come close to you, Jesus tells his 72 disciples, and then he dispatches them in Luke chapter 10. Go and tell everybody about this kingdom. King Jesus sends and mobilizes the church. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is deploying the kingdom, even in our day. He's deploying the kingdom and sending us out. He has strategically planted you. You are not living just by your choice and your decision where you live, the neighborhood you live. You're not living only by your choice in the school you're going to, in in, in the place where where you are of learning. You're not working uh, of your own uh, volition uh, in the place that you work. It has been directed according to God. The steps of the righteous are commanded by the Lord. It has been directed by the Lord. You are planted there by Him. It is strategic. How does a police officer come to know that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Another police officer who knows that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes as a rookie and sits in the seat next to him or or comes along as the leader as he sits in a rookie seat and begins to proclaim the kingdom wherever they go. How does teachers come to know that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? God sends teachers and substitute teachers and administrative people who love Him and call Him King and know Him to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to work among them and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You are strategically planted where you are and God has great plans for uh, dispatching the kingdom through you. And so Jesus dispatches His warriors to the front lines of the battle and he, and, he, and he orders them to combat the dominion of evil, to take authority over it. I want you to think about the power of the kingdom of God. We have coined the term here for us as a, as a church. We branded the name Grace Place. Our legal name is Grace Christian Center. We branded the name Grace Place because we wanted the understanding and mission that the place of grace is wherever Christ is king. It's not just this location at 1500 Royston Lane. We are dispatching you from here. And when you head out and you you go into the world and you wind up at HEB after this is over, or you go to get something to eat somewhere, there may be no hope in the environment you go into. You might walk into a small cafe where nobody calls Jesus Lord and nobody knows Him, but suddenly when you enter and you bring your family, the kingdom of God walks into that place. And prior to you entering that place, there was no healing. There was no deliverance. There was no hope. And there was no freedom. But when Grace Place walks in, there's a place of grace. There's a place of mercy. In Hebrews it said we can come before the throne of grace. Uh, We can come before the throne of God because it is a throne of grace. It is a place where we can find mercy and help in our time of need. Amen? So Jesus dispatches us out into the world to reveal the kingdom. Then Jesus purchases the kingdom 
Colossians chapter 2, 14 and 15. We'll read it in a moment. Jesus redeems the kingdom by his victorious death and resurrection on the cross. And, as it, and, and he appeases the wrath of God which was poured out upon us. We were not worthy. We were found guilty. We were already judged. And we were heading towards uh, the judge with, with no hope of, our, of appeal or, or, or no good lawyer that would stand in our place. But then an advocate came in Jesus and He took upon Himself our sin. He canceled, it says, the record of charges against us. And He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by the victory over them on the cross. By paying the price of a kingdom people on the cross, Jesus demonstrates that he's the legitimate ruler of the restored kingdom. He paid the price for the kingdom. And therefore, he's the ruler of the kingdom. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus paid it all? <laughs> I hope you know what that means. When I say all, Jesus paid it all. Everything that passes through your mind in this moment of dark moments of your own life, of your family's life, of those that you've watched who have committed horrible sin. And Jesus paid it all. He took up on Himself all. Seventh, we see that Jesus empowers the citizens of the kingdom for the work of the kingdom. In his final statements to his followers, Jesus brings his earthly career to a close by defining the nature of his kingdom to come. Acts 1 and 6, he says, Lord, uh, they ask, Lord, will you return the kingdom of Israel at this time? And Jesus follows, uh, followers inquired, they ask of him about just before his ascension. And Jesus goes on to say, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put under my, his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I am not commissioning you and sending you out without power and without authority. Wherever God has taken Michelle and I in ministry, He has given us the power to accomplish the work where He sent us. When people were sick, we could lay hands on them and pray for them. God would heal them. Miraculous things. Nothing that we do, no honor to us at all, but us in our weakness standing in obedience to God in the place in the office of pastor and laying hands on people where God sent us seeing His miraculous work take place. Broken marriages, lives that were ruined, hurt and broken from all manner of sin. We could sit in those moments and touch those people and pray for them and invite God's presence and see transformational work take place in a moment of time. I was just 23 years old the first time I had my own personal encounter with a young woman who was demon-possessed. She lashed out during an event that was taking place and ran up to 
do harm to the speaker. God spoke to me just moments before that happened. I met her in the aisle. Some others came around in the course of wrestling and trying to stop her. Uh, she was taken to the ground. I want to tell you, she's a 15-year-old girl, just, just probably 110 pounds, and she lifted me off the ground, screaming and crying out and tearing. We took authority in the name of Jesus. All power <laughs> is given. I saw this coming earlier in the week. I was walking uh, down the street, and this young lady called me by name, and, and, and I didn't know her. I'd never met her before. And she said to me, Alan, I know you. And I knew in that moment it was not her, but a demonic spirit that was speaking out. In the course of what took place over that night, raging and screaming, she, uh, she surrendered her life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We saw her relax. We saw it was a picture of what uh, must have been the, the Gadarean demoniac when he was, uh, it says at the end of the story, he was seated at the feet of Jesus and clothed and in his right mind. And it was much that picture with her in that evening. And she began to share with us that early in her life, the enemy had lied to her, the mom uh, was was uh, had was very sick and died, and and the devil had come to her. She had already been engaged in some witchcraft activities, and and the devil had spoke to her and said, you know, if you will give your life completely to me and to this work of witchcraft that I have for you, then you will get to see your mom after you die. But if you don't, you'll never see your mom again. And in that moment, she made a covenant. She made a a commitment. And she became very powerful in that, in that field, in that area. We were praying for her that night. God delivered her miraculously. She's sitting there, just a completely different person. I can't even describe to you the person that was before and the person that is after. The power of Jesus Christ to set free and to liberate. My brother and I were on a Native American reservation. We were ministering in the spirit uh, to some who were... Um, uh, had, had these issues of their life, and there was a young couple that came up that were terrified, and they, they began to explain to us, you know, um, how that uh, the, the witch doctor had come to, to her husband. He was his second in command, and, and had told him that he's going to die, and he wanted to pass on uh, all of the work uh, to him, and he didn't want it. He wanted nothing to do with it. And uh, so in the, in the night, they would see this, this witch doctor above their bed, you know, hovering there and having the bags of, of things that he wanted to pass on to him so that he would carry this on with the, with the tribe. It was a fearful thing that the, both the wife and the husband were seeing the spirit on a regular basis. They were terrified. And as we laid hands on them and began to pray for them, God came into that room in such a powerful way. Oh, what a marvelous work the Lord did in just moments of time through that meeting. We were there for about three days uh, each, each night in ministry. God called both those couple, that couple to ministry, and they're in ministry today. God's using them in a powerful way. It's incredible what God can do. He said, I'm sending you out, but I'm giving you the power. 
I'm giving you the power to do the work that I'm going to do because there is power uh, that the enemy is using to destroy and enchain and, 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 and hold those in bondage. But I'm going to give you the power to set them free in my name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Then Jesus returns the kingdom. It says, as a, as a victorious warrior monarch, Jesus makes his triumphal uh, return at the second coming. We talked about when we opened this message, the Bible tells us as, as he returns to complete the last conquest uh, and the moniker that's inscribed across his body as Jesus returns is recorded for us in Revelations 19 and 16. It says across his vesture, King of kings and Lord of lords. I think it is Revelations chapter 15 verse 11 where it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and God. The last trumpet sounds and that's the declaration and man can you believe what that's going to be like when Jesus comes back when the last trumpet sounds and there's the declaration of the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord and God. He's coming to set up his rule on the earth. And at the end, Jesus crushes all of his adversaries as he establishes a new kingdom that is perfect reflection of his just reign in heaven. And the end conquest that began with the conception, if the kingdom of God was, was important to Jesus and his ministry, then it is important for us to understand and to live in and to walk in. I want to take a moment to walk through the application of the verses that we read a moment ago and bring a little more light and understanding of what we're talking about. He says the kingdom, Jesus said the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say here it is or there it is. And throughout mankind's history, we've been able to measure the size of kingdoms. I want to talk a little bit about the kingdoms of men and what they've looked like. There's, there's been maps that depict where one kingdom begins and, and ends its boundaries based on the strength and power of another kingdom that is set up. Uh, throughout history, mankind has had patterns of conquest that have been successful and often repeated. These trades of war, these warcraft that they've used that have been successful, and they use them against each other. They uh, have, have used some of the same techniques to uh, defeat armies throughout history. We even use some today uh, in our armies that battle today, some of these tried and true techniques. Mankind's army uh, has been uh, visible armies. They have uh, been where we can see them and they enforce borders. And, and uh, we know by, by looking at, at the borders, the, the massive armies that have, have gathered there to protect those borders, when they are challenged, we can see where one ends and the other begins. Kingdoms of men have risen and they have fallen. Great empires that we all know about historically. Uh, and they have risen and then they have fallen. There has, uh, in, in man's kingdom, always been um, the life of a monarch ends at some point. Some have had uh, short terms and some have had long lives, but... A monarch's life always ends in man's kingdom. In man's kingdom, the, the ruling kingdom makes all the rules and collects all the gold. In man's kingdom, citizens of the kingdom of men are never heirs to the king. They're simply citizens, and no citizen 
is able to speak with the king without special permissions or under unique circumstances. Citizens of the kingdoms are subjects of the king. Property. In man's kingdom, the subjects of the kingdom build the house of the king first and foremost. They themselves never really own a home, for it always belongs to the king. They are given the privilege of having uh, allotments in the king's lands. We talk about the kingdom of God. There is no visible boundaries or limitations to this kingdom. No maps can outline its dimensions. Daniel 6 and 26. We talk about the kingdom of God. The king died but was resurrected and lives forever. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 10. We talk about the kingdom of God. We talk about all the silver and the gold belongs to God. The earth and everything in it. He designed the universe and it belongs to Him. It says in Psalms verse 24 and 1, but He has given us stewardship over it. We talk about the kingdom of God. The heavens are His throne and the earth is His footstool. Isaiah 66 verse 1. We talk about the kingdom of God. We come to the understanding that all those who seek Him find Him. All those who call upon Him, He will answer. Matthew 7 and 7. Citizens of the kingdom are children of the king and their heirs in the kingdom. Romans 8 verse 17. It says that he built a kingdom, he built a home for his kids in his majestic kingdom. John 14 verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. <laughs> and there's one for you. Romans chapter 14, verse 11, we come to understand that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is king, and every kingdom and every king and every lord will bow to him and to his majesty. And that's what he meant when he said, you're looking at man's kingdoms and trying to reason that that may be what God's kingdom looks like. You don't understand that that pales in comparison. There are no maps and boundaries for his kingdom. They are living by grace and mercy the way they're living right now. But they own nothing. They have nothing. They are nothing in the light of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he cherishes his children. We are children and not just citizens of the, of the kingdom. We are heirs in this kingdom. And then he goes on to say in this passage, for the kingdom of God is already among you. This is a hard one for us in every day. You know, when I was a kid, but in this day too, you would say, Pastor, I just don't see it, man. It, it looks like sin is winning. Where is the kingdom of God? How can I believe that the kingdom of God is among us? And, and uh, you know, again, you know, to, as to the Pharisees, you're looking in the wrong directions. The kingdom of God has already begun. Jesus claims that it has done so. And, and he says, and now it's, you know, right directly in front of the Pharisees' eyes. He says, the kingdom of God is among you and you can't even see it. During his discourse with the Pharisees, Jesus stated that he, he brought the kingdom of God to earth. 
And, and where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever Christ is king. If he's king in you, that's where the kingdom of God is. If he's king in your mom, that's where the kingdom of God is. If he's king in your dad, then that's where the kingdom of God is. If he's king in your brother, your sister, your aunt or your uncle, your cousins and nephew, uh, then that's where the kingdom is. The kingdom, though, is most visible by us, if you want to look for the kingdom, by looking at the church, the bride of Christ. How do we see the kingdom of God through the bride of Christ? Well, you see the kingdom by the way she loves. John chapter 13, verse 36. You see it by her character. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Live as people of the light, for the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. You see the kingdom of God in her wisdom, in the bride's wisdom. It says in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house upon a rock. You see the kingdom of God in her effectiveness in prayer. Proverbs 15 and 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. You see it in the way that she worships with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her strength, with all of her mind in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. You see it in the way that she works. And this is what Paul meant when he said, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. The way that she works always ends up glorifying God. It always brings honor and praise to God. You see the kingdom best when you see the church. Not people who go to church, but people who belong to the king and are the church. Amen? I want to invite our worship team to come. My closing question for you this morning with your online or your on campus is who is king of your life? Who rules your life right now? Who's in charge? Is Jesus your king? Is he in charge? Is he the one that you're going to for solutions and with the issues of your life? Are you bringing those to him? Can you see his kingdom? Are you functioning in it? come with some, some good news. It comes from the King of Kings. He is inviting you into his kingdom today. He wants you to be a member of the kingdom of God. He loves you. He cares deeply about you. The moment we're going to receive that, which represents the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. There's a challenge for us in scripture that we do this with full understanding. That we understand what this really means. That we're not just doing this as a symbol of religion, but we're doing this with the understanding that we have invited him to be the Lord and the leader of our life. The Bible tells us that in, in receiving communion, there were instances where in the early church people were healed. They were delivered from bondage. 
because as they came to understand what this means, Jesus' body was broken for me, and they received it together. They made a full surrender of their life to Jesus Christ. They made him the Lord and the leader of their life. I want to ask you to stand with me. We get that opportunity right now. God may not grant it to us. We have this breath, this moment. We don't know what lies ahead. We don't know if, we're have, if we have a safe trip to go eat after this, to go home, if we will all be together for Thanksgiving or we will all be together for Christmas or we don't know. But we do know we have this moment right now to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to do that. And I'm going to pray with you. There's no magic in this prayer. The magic uh, is, is uh, only in your full surrender to Jesus Christ. So if you just say words uh, in, in a religious way, then nothing happens. You said words, you came and you left. But if you say these words and you mean them from your heart and you invite Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life, then this was a prayer that opened the pathway for you to live in the kingdom. I want to ask everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, to pray this prayer with me so that we're all together and united in asking Jesus to be Lord and leader of our lives. We repeat these words. Lord Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again and conquered death. I ask you to be Lord and leader of my life going forward. And I will follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name.